morning. It's a pleasure to be here with everyone today, celebrating the triumphal entry of Christ, the Prince of Peace, entering into the capital city of his kingdom. And yet, to those of us that believe, today is a bittersweet day. It's sweet in the sense of seeing our Savior be praised, seeing him be declared king by the masses, but it's also bitter because we know that this is the beginning of the trials and tribulations, the beginning of the suffering that he goes through on our part. And as we go through the Gospels in our daily reading and in our devotions, and the Holy Spirit begins to guide us in a more intimate relationship with Christ, there are several aspects of his life that begin to, to come alive to us as we read. We see the love that he showed the destitute, the way that he helped the poor, the way that he helped the widows, the way that he healed those around him and was always there for them, the way that he made time for those that believed in him and loved in him. And yet as we go through the gospel account and as we see all the different stories involving Jesus, there's one that sticks out to me that continually makes me think in contemplation. And that is in the gospel according to John chapter 18, 38. Jesus is on trial, and the masses are yelling, crucify him, we want Barabbas, and Pilate is talking to him. And Pilate stands face to face with Jesus Christ, and he says, what is truth? Now imagine that moment. Pilate looks at Christ and asks him, what is truth? And what was going on in the mindset of Pilate whenever he asked this question? Just kind of examine the situation there. Was he asking it? In a sense of sarcasm, thinking to himself, this prisoner tells me that he bears witness to the truth, and yet here he is tied up in front of me, totally helpless. Was he asking it from an authoritative point of view? I am a Roman, you are a Jew. Your followers declare that you are a king, and yet here you are tied and under my charge. Was he asking it in some kind of a weird philosophical conundrum? You and your followers claim truth. Your followers declare that you are the Messiah, and they follow you as such, and to them that is true. And yet the Pharisees and the crowds, they declare that you must be killed, and to them that is truth. And yet here I am, in the middle of two truths, having to decide which one must be acted upon. What is truth? Or is there a much deeper meaning that goes beyond anything that we can see on the surface? When you read the Gospel according to John, and you start in chapter 1, Verse 1, you will read, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all things came into being from Him. Now, in the Old Testament, when you're reading and you see the word Lord capitalized, that is because the author of that book is referring to the Lord by His proper name of Yahweh. And when you read the Gospel of John and you see the word Word capitalized, that is because John is using the Greek word Logos, to refer to Jesus Christ. The definition of that word is the word of God, or the principle of divine reason and creative order. And yet to the ancient Greeks in their search for truth and their philosophy, that word meant something to them like ultimate reality or ultimate truth. So in that moment, if you want, you can read it something like this. In the beginning was ultimate truth, and ultimate truth was with God, and ultimate truth was God. And all things came into being through him. So in that moment, in this trial, 
Pilate is looking ultimate truth in the eyes, asking it what is truth, and then turning his back on it and walking away. Now, it could also be from a point of confusion that Pilate was asking what is truth. Think about what all has happened in the prior weeks, months, and even years before Jesus stands before Pilate. Everything that Pilate must have heard of through rumblings. He may be thinking, this man Jesus helped the destitute, and yet the poor now stand and shout for him to die. He worked miracles in their God Yahweh's name, and yet his God, this God's high priest, now stand before me and tell me that I must kill him. Jesus cast out demons out of people, and yet now the people stand, and they tell me that they would rather have this evil man Barabbas released and be among them than they would him. I know that this man is innocent. My wife had a dream about him and was tormented on his behalf, telling me not to touch him. Yet if I do not do something, there will be no peace in my city. Jesus says he is a king, yet here he is bound before me with no one trying to save him. And yet he is in total peace, like a lamb being led to the slaughter. Then the verse prior to this in John 18, 37 Jesus tells Pilate that everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And that is to which Pilate replies, what is truth? Now, even though we cannot fully grasp the mind or everything that Pilate was struggling through in those times, we do know what was happening less than a week before Jesus was standing in front of Pilate. The whole city was in an uproar as this man, Jesus, was riding through the city gates on a donkey, and those in the city were casting palms and garments down in front of him, declaring him to be king and yelling Hosanna to him. Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry, had already occurred, and that is what we are here gathered together to celebrate today, the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, into the capital city of his kingdom, Jerusalem. So where I'd like to begin is if you will turn with me to Matthew chapter 21, we will read the triumphal entry. We're going to begin in verse 1 and read through verse 11. Triumphal entry, verse 1. When they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say the Lord has need of them. And immediately... He will send them. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them, and brought the donkey and the colt, and laid their coats on them. And he sat on the coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats in the road, and others were cutting branches from trees and spreading them in the road. The crowds going ahead of him and those who followed were shouting, 
Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And the crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. Now, what is the meaning of the triumphal entry as we read through this story? Jesus entering into the gates of the city in glory and being praised. But one has to wonder in that moment if Jesus was able to enjoy the moment of entering the city. What was going on through his mind as he entered through the gates? As he was sitting on the donkey, did he look and see Judas knowing what he was about to do? Did he look and see Peter going beside him? knowing that he was about to deny him three times. Knowing that these people that were praising him and declaring Hosanna would soon be the very ones, some of them yelling, crucify him. Willingly entering into the city for the sake of those who would reject him, yet with the hope and love on his mind for those of us that would follow and would praise him and declare his kingship in his name. And yet, One aspect that sometimes is not going to examine very much is the crowd that was standing beside him. There were many different things going on in the minds of the crowd, but at this time, it is safe to say that they misunderstood his entry. They thought that he was there to help them in establishing a physical kingdom, to lead them in fighting the Romans. And even to this day, that is still the mindset that many Jews have when being asked about Jesus Christ and who they think he was a rebellious Jew that started an uprising and died for his problems. There's a political commentator that is a Jewish man named Ben Shapiro that I like listening to quite a bit. And he owns a company called The Daily Wire. Some of you may have heard of him. But occasionally, someone will get him to go onto their show to where they can interview him. And I've listened to him multiple times on the Joe Rogan podcast, and I've also listened to him interview skeptic Michael Shermer. And when Jesus Christ comes up, he flippantly refers to him as the Jesus. But one time he was asked, what do you think of Jesus? And Ben stated this, Judaism never posits that a Messiah would come in the form of a God-man. He would be a political figure that would bring peace to Israel and the world. He, Jesus, was a Jew that tried to lead a revolt against the Romans and got killed for his troubles. And it's very sad that Ben views it that way. And he goes off of the words of rabbis instead of off of the words of scriptures. And John MacArthur was on his show and presented Isaiah 52 and 53 to him. And Ben was totally stumped. He almost didn't even know what to do with it. But if you continue to read through the chapter of Matthew 21, the way that Christ entered into the city should have let the Jews at the time know that his kingdom was not of this world. Initially, whenever a conquering king would enter into a city, he would go into the highest building of government and declare it as his own. But in this time, when Jesus enters into the city, he goes straight to the temple and cleanses it. This was a sign that his kingdom was not of this world. He did not go for a castle, but he went rather for the temple. Now, it is true that when a king would enter a city, the citizens of that city would lay their garments in front of him, or even their palms, as a symbol of victory or triumph over what they had been battling with in the days of head and behind. But equally as important is that everything with the entering king was 
always symbolic. And what the king rode into town on was always important. If the king came in on a horse, it was because he had war on his mind. Or the possibility of war was around the corner. It was a sign of power. I mean, if a king came on riding a donkey or a colt, then it was a symbol of humility on his part. And he was entering the town with the intention of peace. Now, this is a side note, but I think it's something very important for us to recognize. In the triumphal entry, Jesus enters the city on a donkey, declaring himself to be the Prince of Peace. But in Revelation, when he returns for the second coming, he is coming on a horse. And that should be very telling to us of his intent. He is coming back as the heir to claim that which is his. But in this moment, returning back to the crowd, who was this crowd that was surrounding him? Well, if you go to the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verses 17 and 18, you will see who the crowd is. I will read this here. John 12, 17. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead bore witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard that he had done this sign. The crowd spoken of in verse 17, a lot of them were the very people that were in Bethphage watching Jesus raise Lazarus. In fact, in John chapter 11, 42, before raising Lazarus from the dead, Jesus prays and says this, I knew that thou hearest me always, but I have said this on account of the people standing by that they may believe that thou didst send me. Many of the people who had been to Bethany where Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead were already at Jerusalem, already spreading the word about his works. And when Jesus had came, even though he was close to the city, he still stopped and grabbed the donkey to fulfill the prophecy of Zechariah, knowing that they would meet him. Now the key point that I think continued to stick out to me that I hope we all pick up on when reading the triumphal entry and in celebrating Palm Sunday together is what was the crowd doing? What were they doing? They were joyfully celebrating their submission to his headship. They were joyfully celebrating their submission to his kingship. The resurrection was a fulfillment of prophecy and the sign of Jonah. And the blood Christ shed on the cross is what saves us from eternal damnation and from being separated from him eternally. Yet the triumphal entry was the beginning of all of these events. And just as the triumphal entry was the beginning of these events, so I pray that we also declare him king of our lives, laying our palms down before him in declaration of his triumph in order to appreciate and be blessed by the sacrifice he made on the cross the glory and the beauty of his resurrection. And just as the crowd was joyfully celebrating their submission to his headship, I pray that all of us do in the days ahead as we continue to get closer to Good Friday and the miracle of the resurrection. Let's pray. Christ, I thank you for all of your works. I thank you that we have the word of God to read together. I thank you that we are able to come together and to celebrate your triumphal entry, Lord. And yet it's with a heavy heart, Lord, 
that we know what's happening next. And we know that you knew what was happening next, and yet you still went through it for our sake, on our behalf. We praise you for this, Lord, for the love that you showed us and your grace and your suffering and through the power you showed in the resurrection. We praise your name always, Lord, and pray that you continue to guide us in the days ahead. Amen.